Hello and welcome to Dynasty as They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Buena noche, señores, señori. <laughs> Hola. I have such FOMO. I have such FOMO. For what reason and why? You know why. The Popeyes no, I don't. Please explain. Chicken sandwich. I didn't get one, and they're all out now. What is this thing with chicken sandwiches? Why is this the hot new uh, trend that everybody's well, discovering? It ain't a trend for me, honey. I have always loved a chicken. Are sandwich. we all here to just self-identify as like early adopters of chicken sandwiches from way back? I'm not trying to be cool or anything. I'm just saying I've always loved. There's chicken nothing sandwiches. cool about loving a chicken sandwich, so I, I don't understand any of this. It just sucks because I heard the chatter about how great the Popeye's chicken sandwich was and Popeye's in Southern California aren't like readily available. Like so many of these other chains. So like, I was like, okay, mental note, I've got to go find a Popeye's. I've got to get the chicken sandwich and then like cut. When have you ever actually said that to yourself? Never, but cut to like a few days ago and it's like, Oh, they're all gone for like ever. No mas. (sighs) Well, here's the thing. You I, had one, right? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, no, where did you get that idea from? No, oh, there's misinformation out I've, there on I've been the eating streets. chicken sandwiches all up and down the street. Wendy's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, sorry, no more. And then like, what's this like? Okay, there. we need to have like a, a sidebar on the Nashville hot chicken thing. That's also sort of like a subset of this trend. But anyway, whatever. So, like, I've had all manner of, you know, fried chicken sandwiches over the years. And, I, you know, I have yet to have the the Popeye Yes one, but... I thought you had it. No, if that's what you were, like, hanging this whole thing on, like, sorry. No, not going to cash those chips in. Sorry. Well, what is your favorite chicken sandwich that you've ever had in your life? And if you say Chick-fil-A, oh, my God, I'm going to... No, I th- I think we uh, we have to acknowledge readily and very easily that Chick Fil A is something that you quickly get into, and then you, as you become an adult, you realize, oh wait, there's a whole other world of chicken sandwiches out there, and Chick Fil A is actually kind of just like, nah, it's well, fine. Here's the you thing. know, it's it's good, it's tasty, like whatever, like you know, but. There's, there's just so much else out there. I do think, okay, so we're from the South, so we've had Chick-fil-A um, all of our lives. And if you take out the whole problematic nature of the company of Chick-fil-A, which, you know, is an issue and you shouldn't go to Chick-fil-A, but they do a good job of like brining the chicken. And so the chicken is like juicy and has flavor but it actually isn't like as crispy as it should be. No, it's not. I mean, but I think we're kind of t- talking specifically about a fried chicken sandwich, which yes. I think yeah, 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 I think yeah. the Chick-fil-A sandwich is sort of masquerading as and got away with for a long time. However, it really isn't crispy at all. It's kind of just a soggy mess. Um, and if it weren't for the extra pickles on the bun, I don't know, like it kind of just is, I don't know. It's one of these, like when you pull the curtain back and you realize the, the wizard of chicken is, is just like pulling some robotic arms and, and pressing buttons back there. And it's like, wait a minute, this isn't actually all that great. Like there's like, these are the things out there. 
Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to click my heels and, and I don't know, go to fucking Gus's chicken or something. The other thing that I had was that Cheeto chicken sandwich from KFC and I got all excited about it. No, Ugh, it was disgusting. It was a sort of okay chicken sandwich with some Cheetos on top. I mean, come on. Well, that's so basic. That's like something I would do as a five-year-old. I I, I would actually maybe even do that as my current age. Well, here's deep insight. One of the recipes that I've always loved all my life is Demi Moore's Cap'n Crunch Crusted Fried Chicken. It's a original Planet Hollywood recipe. Planet Hollywood. Back when Planet Hollywood started and like Sylvester Stallone and Bruce Willis and Demi Moore were all like... It was like a simpler world. Heavily involved. Like they were in the kitchen making the food. Maybe even Holly Hunter was back there doing some ranch dressing or something. They all were. And Demi Mm. Moore was frying up chicken that had been crusted with Cap'n Crunch. And this is before Doritos, tacos, and Cheetos sandwiches. Like this goes way back. This was like a hot take back then. Like just... Take your favorite potato chip snack type thing and make it into a breading for chicken or what have you. Demi Moore was on the fucking cutting edge. Whenever this kind of junk food stuff comes up, it just makes me think back to Planet Hollywood and Demi Moore's cup. She was the one, the only, the original. A real trailblazer, Demi Moore. But anyway, the Cheetos thing was not as good as the Cap'n Crunch crusted chicken, and nothing really has ever gotten to that well, level it's, for me. Well, it's a nice uh, juxtaposition to the terrible brand muffins that they've been making on this show the last couple of episodes that I don't want to eat. So I'd rather have a chicken sandwich. I, I guess we can mosey along with that one. Yeah, the food never looks good on Dynasty. I don't know what what they're spending on the prop budget, but it's always disgusting looking. Well, you know, this is back in the day when people spent money on clothes, not on food. See, now we're all like, I don't know, millennials or whatever the hell. And it's like, we just want experiences. We want vacaciones and and we want food. And yet the the clothes and, and the shopping are like, that's definitely like more of that time period. So yeah, there's like, there's no interesting food on here. Even like the uh, title card with Liebergere, it's like, let's, let's pipe some buttercream frosting onto a wedding cake from like, I don't know. That's like 12 episodes ago that that cake was served. I mean, come on. So other than Popeye's chicken sandwiches, there was some more relevant dynasty news. I don't know. I if can't you imagine saw, that that's possible. But Joan Collins was giving interviews because um, I guess they're working on a docu-miniseries or something about her and Jackie and their life together. So she's been... Okay, that sounds like fun. I mean, because they've already done like a couple of Dynasty sort of nighttime specials, but like this sounds like pretty interesting, actually. Oh, yeah, and this is with the surviving Collins' sister approval, so you know it would be good. But this is from the Daily Mail, and Joan was kind of being retrospective about getting involved with Dynasty and how it kind of saved her life. You, you can't spring these things on me. Like, why did you save this? Like, why didn't you tell me? I got to save it for the podcast, honey. Mm. This is prime content. Anyway, she talks a lot about all sorts of things, but here's the relevant bit that I really liked in this Daily Mail piece. So she talked about how she got involved with Dynasty. 
Um, I'll do a light impersonation. Is this the thing where she was on Fantasy Island for like a part or something? Do you want to guess or do you want me to read it? That was my guess. Now you read it. While there, I received a phone call from Tom Corman, my LA agent. Do you know what Dynasty is, he asked. A Chinese restaurant, I replied. (laughs) I want to go to that place. He sighed. It's Aaron Spelling's new TV show, His Answer to Dallas. It's been on air for a season, but the ratings keep dropping, and they've written this mysterious new character called Alexis, hoping to pep it up. Love the name, I said. Can I think about it? I'll fax you a couple of scenes, he said. (laughs) Whoa, they had facsimile in 1981? Apparently. It's a great role, but Elizabeth Taylor and Sophia Loren have already turned it down. How long is the gig? Maybe another season, he replied. Call me tomorrow. ABC has got to know fast. I need more method acting for this. This is not juicy enough the way that you're delivering it. I read the scenes and loved them, and within two weeks, our family was in L.A. I started shooting the second season of Dynasty at my old stomping ground, 20th Century Fox Studios. It was unbelievable how quickly Alexis Carrington Colby took America by storm. Within two weeks of airings, ratings zoomed, and by January 1981, it was on one of the top ten most popular shows. So where does this reading come from? Like, you're clearly you've got a point of view here. So what what is it? It's from a Daily Mail story titled, How Jackie Wrote Racist Chapter of My Life (laughs) and Dynasty Saved Me from the Dole. Racist or raciest? Oh, racist. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Dame Joan Collins reveals two rollicking tales from life story that is soon to be a major TV drama. Well, I don't know what all this has to do with Chicken Sandoz, but... Nothing. None of this has anything to do with anything. I love love Joan turning it up on Dynasty because that's clearly what saved the show and... You know, as much as I love the first season, like she's the one who made it work forever. So, a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> I I want to go to the Dynasty buffet and just yeah, load up on the egg foo young and yeah, six ninety nine for claws. six ninety nine for lunch, twelve ninety nine for dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you made a cocktail for the recording of this. Do you want to talk about what it is? Is it relevant to the episode? Well, you know, they've been drinking so much brandy on this show, and, and I thought, so well, we're, much we're getting to the end of summer, and it's like, okay, fine, we can transition. I don't know what I mean like that. And so, uh, you know, we've all had a Tom Collins, or maybe we haven't. I've had many of them. Uh, it's, it's a classic. I know him. <laughs> it's a classic drink, but I don't think, actually, most people don't really like know what that is. Or it's kind of old. It it's kind of old It's school. just, uh, you know, gin and lemon juice, sugar and uh, seltzer water, club soda, whatever you like. You know, the first uh, time I ever had one was at a Little Richard concert. Uh, you had a Tom Collins at a Little Richard concert. Yeah, for some reason that, they that's were... so specific. They were serving It sounds like uh, when weird. you open a fortune cookie, you know, at you're going to... Dynasty restaurant? Yes, in bed. <laughs> so, anyway, so I've... Uh, I've Woo! <laughs> I've, well, yeah. I've substituted uh, brandy for the gin, and instead of a Tom Collins, we're having a Joan Collins... Oh my, well, we got to clink to that. It wasn't very loud. Okay, we've gone on far too long about things that aren't relevant to this week's episode, which was pretty spectacular. I must say there was a lot of fucking shit going on. 
Welcome back. Okay, we got to start off off the bat here at the opening fucking credits. I got thrown for a huge surprise and also starring James Farentino as Dr. Nicholas Toscani. Who the hell is this guy? It's it's weird when they like spoil the episode like in the credits in the beginning. But yeah, so yeah, you you're like, "Oh, I guess there's this new character on the scene." I didn't call for a doctor. What the hell? This is crazy to me. No, and the, like the shitty thing is, is like I think this character is kind of regressive for the show, aesthetically speaking. I don't care. Also, about- for Italian Americans. <laughs> well, okay, we we get to that. That's kind of where I was going. But it's sort of like I don't even care about the politics or the culture of it or of it all. Like it's more about like this is just aesthetically not interesting for the show. But yes, here's this like Nicholas Toscani, like I don't know, like which that name is already like a little bit Ugh, offensive. Yeah, and, and so it's like what he's supposed to be like some Italian American stereotype. It's like a guinea act or something. Oh the my way god, he comes in Wops and Dagos. It's so what do they call them? Offensive. So he comes out of nowhere. All right. So Claudia wants to kill herself. We just got to get into it, right? No, we have to. We don't have any choice because, like, here's this, like, new character. And, like, it's as if Joan Collins wasn't enough. Like, come on. Joan Collins was enough for me. She was this. Certainly enough. And, like, this is too much. It's giving me whiplash. It's too much. Come on, sweetheart. Come on. You and I are going to take a little walk. Come on, unless you want to die this way, huh? You want to die this way? It's all right with me. I'll just say a couple of Hail Marys over you. I don't care, you know? Come on, sweetheart. It's just a lousy job, not a personal commitment. Please, come on. You don't want to die this way. You're too young and beautiful, huh? Nobody's going to care. Blake Carrington's used to suicides. Come on. Get up and walk, damn it. Walk! He tries to, like, like, bring his character up to speed in this, like, terrible... Uh, I don't know what that was, a monologue? I don't know what that was where he's like trying to revive suicidal Claudia. Yeah, yeah. So let's just explain. So Blake is still taking care of Claudia. He sends Andy to pick her up from the hospital, buy her groceries, yada, yada, yada. It don't matter. She's at her lowest low point. Matthew Blaisdell has taken her daughter away. They've split. She can't find him. She goes into Lindsay's room, boo hoo hoo. She's ready to end it all. Which, okay, I can understand. This is a really dark place for her. And then this Dr. Nicholas Toscani and Blake storm into the house after a really random phone call. I guess she called him on her on her suicide um, bed. Um, I'm, I'm sleep- um, I'm sleepy. So sleepy. <laughs> so tired. You get the like classic <laughs> shot. <laughs> like the handset falls to the blue shag rug. Barely. She just <laughs> kind of sets with the, the pill rug. bottles next to it and like yeah, no, <laughs> it was too much. It was way over the top. But then if that wasn't over the top enough, then he, this Dr. Nicholas Toscani comes in here. God, I keep thinking he's like his name is like an Olive Garden dish or it, something. It, I was just there it's is some so there's a sort of like bad poetry to it. Yeah. Oh, I'll have the soup salad and breadsticks in an order of the Nicholas Toscani <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> with chicken. <laughs> yeah. So he comes in and like starts slapping her face and then making her walk in circles and starts telling her all about his 
life story about how he grew up in New York and could see Battery Park and Statue of Liberty this and pizza pie and cannoli that. And it's just like, shut the fuck up. Who it are really you? is. But here's the thing. If you actually listen to what he's saying, which is hard to do because this does go on. I think it's almost like a three minute sort of like interlude of just fever dream, Italian-American, Brooklyn story. I don't know what the hell that was. And it's like, are we just filling up time? You know, like, do we like have like 30 more seconds before a commercial break? In what world did somebody think it was a good idea that this guy introduced his backstory in the midst of trying to save somebody from suicide? I think uh, in the world of people who are bad writers because they think that... Oh, we have 28 seconds to get the audience up to speed on what this character is. So I guess like he's just like, oh, here, here's your opportunity. Deliver a whole monologue while you're saving suicidal Claudia. And like, frankly, like the, the rest of the episode, like pretty good. Not, not having too many issues. But this is like, I don't, it's aesthetically, it's a bad choice. But I was laughing because I thought I was being trolled or something like was this a SNL sketch that was being aired during that time? It was so bizarre. It's just kind of like it just goes on and it's like, oh no, it's going to stop now. No, it keeps going. It's going to stop. No, it keeps going. It's just like, this is outrageous. Like, yeah. I thought, I thought Claudia had a really good idea because I wanted to commit suicide watching this scene. Yeah. I was like, please end it all into everything. I don't want to watch this anymore. I, I think if anything, that would encourage me to stay dead. And also, medically, is this really the best way to save somebody from Treating suicide? your patient like your therapist? Um, no. Well, walking them around in circles while telling them Dumping about Dumping on your Claudia about your childhood memories. Yeah, like, Ameri- yeah, American upbringing. And he does later tell Blake that he pumped her stomach. But, like, how did that happen? Because he didn't have any, like, medical supplies. And I think he just told Blake to, like, turn the tub on or something. So... I don't know, maybe off camera he stuck his finger down her throat and made her cough up all the pills. I don't know. Well, I think the thing with that scene, it starts with uh, Claudia coming home or being escorted home. But she, you know, she walks into Lindsay's room. I'm, I'm assuming this is Lindsay's room. I guess it is Lindsay's well, room because yeah, we've seen her from her. Sorry. So she goes into Lindsay's room and she strokes the Statue of Liberty memento. Is that a metaphor? <laughs> It might be God. I mean, everything on this show is a metaphor for something, and it's just a matter of unlocking all of those secrets. Then Nick Toscani's there talking about, oh, my my papa took me to the stadium and Wrigley Field and flat-ass Statue of Liberty and the Segunda Segura, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What is this like link between you know, Papa Toscani's flat-ass Statue of Liberty story versus... The Statue of Liberty that Claudia was... By the way, Claudia's got junk in the trunk. She's She's got ass, if we're wondering. So <laughs> so then I'm like wondering, well, what is all... What is, what is the meaning of all of this? How do you put all these things together? I really don't know. I'm still digesting it. Well, and then later on, we learn that he has an ulterior motive. So he... His background is actually that he's been working as a psychologist for the football team that Blake Carrington owns. Takes you know one to what? know one. We don't really get enough other than those three linebackers that wanted to do a train on Fallon at the wedding for Crystal. And I think it's pull a train. 
Yeah, well, chugga chugga choo choo. We haven't really seen a lot of this football team. It's mentioned in passing so much. I want it to be like more of a where is this football team? Yeah, bring me the quarterback. By the way, OJ Simpson used to play football. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? I mean, he was on trial, and we had the trial, and. There's the football connection. I don't know. I'm just saying. Okay. This is not a conspiracy theorist podcast, so I'm not going to allow you to go down that road. Anyway. You mean rabbit hole. Come on. Anyway, he's the psychologist for the football team, and I guess Blake thought that Dr. Toscani would keep everything on the DL, so no media starts reporting on the fact that his testimony drove her to kill herself and you know, Blake's just trying to be a nice guy, but this fucking Dr. Toscani, he's got his own secret mission going on. And I guess he's apparently been trying to infiltrate the Carrington mansion to exact revenge for his family. So mobsters are in dynasty now? Question mark. This is all just part of how like, I love the first season and then, like season two is good. I like season two. However, it's very much becoming like, oh, we're gonna do like soap opera things now. Well, okay, I am fine you know, with it's, that. It's, it's just but like this screwing just... with the storyline like this is like it's, it's it's in some ways it's disappointing, but it's like, well, okay, I I, I now know what I'm in for. So this is a left. Anything turn. could be around the corner at this point. Well, yeah, I mean we've got mobster psychologists now, but like. I'm just getting used to Alexis and what she's doing in this episode is so dynamic and interesting. I I think just take him out of this episode or the next however many episodes he's in and the story remains the same. I I think that he was just kind of put in as like some extra layer of flavor and it wasn't so toothsome after all. Mamma mia. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, no, that spicy pepperoni I did not need on my pizza. In fact, I didn't even need pizza. I just needed some like So th- the champagne. fact that we spent all this time talking so much about Nick Toscani means we don't even have to cover him at all for the next however many episodes, right? What's far more interesting is what Alexis has got going on in this episode. We can agree on that, right? Yeah, and this is actually where the episode... I mean, Nick Toscani is like a MacGuffin. Like, that's a red herring. Remove him from from the situation. And yes, Alexis Carrington is sort of the reason why this episode is so messy. However... I was thinking it was going to be messy in that way that like, you know, the episode with like where we first meet Brian Dennehy at the, the adult ski lodge escapade. And it was like, Oh God, this is like, I, I hate this. I don't know how to talk about this. Yeah. And I, th- I think that there's just a lot to chew on in this episode. And in a way it's sort of like, the, it's kind of building upon what we've had the first couple of episodes. Yeah. I mean, what we're really getting here is that Alexis is digging her claws into the Carringtons. She's doing it on the property by asserting herself, going to the help and ordering, uh, you know, a case of champagne and some china and flatware. And then she's doing it with Steven and even with Fallon. And she's a force to be reckoned with. And well, I don't, she's insinuating herself in everybody's life. I think life. you can't 
overstate. It's one of those like that's just like a passing detail. No, she's ordering flatware and champagne from the maid at the house. I mean, bold. If that isn't like luxury lifestyle, like you know, like like nobody's doing that. Come on. Oh no way! And when Crystal comes in and stops her in her tracks and pulls her into the sitting room or the parlor or whatever. We did learn one. The one good thing from Dr. Toscani is that we learned that there's 44 rooms in the Carrington mansion. That's a number. No, that I can no, no, get no, no, no. After 39, you quit counting. He says, and, uh, I feel like that's like a reference to age as well, which is kind of fun. Yeah, that was fun. But we really get crystal asserting herself to Alexis. Yeah, but not in the way that she was in the past. I liked Crystal's moments with uh, uh, Cecil Colby, uh, you know, where she was asserting herself uh, in the in the family business, but not so much here. I I think Alexis is clearly like running the show still, and you know, Crystal's like holding her own. But yeah. I was actually really surprised how much she was holding her own because Crystal has been so fragile. Well, because she's having a baby. Right. But, I mean, that nonwithstanding, I think she's just been very fragile. And you're right, Alexis... Like a Ming vase that's out on loan. (laughs) Well, other than that, it feels just like home. It isn't. Not yours. Well, that's quite to the point, Kristen. I mean, Crystal. That's such a pretty name. I forgot to tell Mrs. Gunnison that I need some wine glasses. All of that totally rolled off of Alexis's back. She's dealt with much more than this, clearly. But I do think that Crystal brought it more than I would have expected her to. Yeah, I just think she's like plowing through the way that she has. Um, I think she's very good at like, you know what you need to say and you pull the trigger and it comes out. But here's the thing with with Alexis, like she's like, "Oh, it still feels like home." And she says that literally as she plops down on the sofa in the living room or whatever this room is. We can never figure out what fancy ass room this is, but what a way to make yourself at home. And she says like, "It still feels like home." It plops down and she lights up a damn cigarette. Remember the old days when like you would just like smoke inside people's houses? How rude, right? I mean, She's like puffing away on on her luxury cigarette. No, it's very strategic. You know, she started on the mm. outside in the studio. She it is Ma's Def strategic. Yeah, she worked her way in through the back with the maid and the major domo mm. in the kitchen. And now she's going into the parlor and confronting the mistress of the house. She's working her way up the ladder. It's so smart, so deliciously savvy, and I'm loving it. She even goes so far as to like sort of primp the roses on on the desk and examine the china um it's it's all just very so presumptuous and she's like ordering flatware and champagne in the kitchen it's just like i love it you know it's this is so fabulous yeah and blake has sent his minion andy laird the attorney to get rid of alexis to deal with the alexis problem i think he says and basically that means spending up to a half million dollars to get her to move along. And I love the fact that she's completely unfazed. She has all the money she needs. This isn't about money for her. 
And Andy, again, he's such a terrible strategist. I can't believe he's like a lawyer. He reveals that Blake has cut Stephen out of the will. And I guess he thinks that revealing that information to Alexis right, is... Which, as a good lawyer, you would not present uh-uh. a non-client that kind of information. Yeah. If anything, that's just going to spur her to more action. Like, they should know better than I mean, to I tell think it's supposed that. to be presented as like, oh, well, like, this is going to leverage her to relinquish her interest in the painter's studio at Casa Carrington. She's already getting but, what? 250k yeah, a year. Yeah, she's getting 250k a year. So she doesn't care about all of that. Some change. And she even says this as much. Like she's like, oh, "I've got all the money I need." Like, "No, you can't buy me out of here." No, it's about power for her or about asserting control. It's not about the money. I think they don't know who they're messing with. Clearly, one of the themes that sort of kind of runs through this episode is the mothers and daughters thing. Mm-hmm. Um, motherhood, yes, it's motherhood, but it's mothers and daughters specifically. It's you've got Stephen's not a daughter. That's so rude. Well, that that actually <laughs> is the exception that proves the rule here. But anyway, so yes, you've you've got Alexis and Fallon, right? Obviously, but then you got Crystal and Fallon who do not get along, and then you've got. Claudia and her absent daughter, uh, which is the whole reason for her suicide. And uh, it's it's this whole statement on what what does it mean to be a mother to a, another woman? You know, whereas the prior episode, it was all about Alexis being mother to her son, Stephen. Uh, Alexis, obviously, you know, is not very motherly. And here she is like shooting skeet or something. And she always hits her mark. She's a markswoman. Yeah, no, I mean, they really sell that with this scene in that Alexis sees through the kinks in Fallon's armor, right? Fallon, when you were a little girl, you thought that you knew everything about everything. I can see that you still haven't changed. You don't. Tony? Pull! And that, my darling, is how it should be done. I don't really know what is going on with Fallon mentally. You know, like, she starts out the episode climbing a damn tree. What was going on with that? Well, this is no, like, Tarzan and Jane thing. It, this is, this is like, sort of revisiting, for me anyway, the uh, way that they met in the Garden of Eden at the dinner party, which is, like, now, like, nine episodes ago or something. I don't know. Uh, but that was at night, this is in the morning, which is a very clear, distinctly different thing. And, you know, they're both unclothed the same way that they were, you know, the last time that they met in the Garden of Eden. And she's climbing a tree, you know, to receive that knowledge. And I think that she is pining, <laughs> no pun intended, for... It was an oak. Yeah, it was an oak, whatever. And she's pining for a time before she knew something. She does not want that knowledge anymore. And she even says that damn wedding. And she's not even complaining about her mother, which that's like a minor complaint for her now. I think it's going to be a a much bigger complaint later. 
but her real complaint is Crystal and Blake, and she just wants her daddy back, and she feels like she can't be married to daddy if Crystal's married to him. You know, it's like it's like this this nutso psychology, but this it's like this prelapsarian vision of how paradisal things were before Crystal showed up and everything changed. And like, honestly, that really is like, when you think of the first episode of this show, well, yeah, I mean, that's what the show is. Crystal came to town and like married Blake and everything changed for everybody in the story, you know? No. And she totally lays that out for Jeff who doesn't seem to care or understand. And no, I, Jeff's gone to like total tofu mode at this point. He's got like zero brain cells. He's not even engaging in the plot. You know, it's it's like whatever, Jeff. Well, put your, put you know, he does on. look great with his shirt off. So there's that. Yeah, I don't even know about that. But oh boy, but I like the fact that they are going back to the first season and they're drawing this line in the sand that everything changed when. Crystal and Blake got married. And that's why Steven is back in town. That's why Ted Denard got killed. That's why Alexis is back in town. So that really set all of this into motion. So I like that kind of callback, but I don't like how rattled Fallon has become. And I think she's really lost her confidence. And that's totally evident when she realizes that Crystal's preggers and immediately goes to a motel. <laughs> She's like, oh, I got to get prego too. Uh, this is like what sort of a standard issue this, maneuver. This is like uh, in an odd way, a callback to the Bordello episode. Well, you know, like it's where like unseemly sexual things, uh, you know, are exchanged. Oh, and at least she's like at the picnic. Like she's like, oh, I thought we would have a picnic. I've got pate and wine and and it's like, uh, but a picnic is something you have in the garden. Uh, maybe not of Eden, but certainly not at a freaking motel. It's just the whole thing is it's a little off tone. But what does she hope to accomplish by getting knocked up by Jeff, her husband? That she obviously this is more of her daddy like. love. She's like, if I have a baby for daddy, then you know. But she's gonna get pregnant at the same time as Crystal. It's so bizarre. Like this is some sort of Mari Povich episode. <laughs> plot line like it doesn't make any sense to me like why she would want to get impregnated with you know the dolt jeff colby i mean i don't know how she's going to react when she learns this truth bomb that alexis dropped on steven that fallon is actually not even blake carrington's daughter actually i like this moment because this is where you start to question well is Lexus just a poor, misunderstood, rich Euro trash lady, or is she scheming? I mean, like, you know, of course you're supposed to expect she's scheming, but like, just watching the show in context, this is the moment where it really becomes real that maybe she's putting something together that's, you know, not altogether up to snuff. Well, we know that she's kept this secret that she's known because they've been teasing it and hinting it. And I'm assuming this is what it is. So it's not just something that she pulled out of her bedazzled ass. So she didn't just make this up on the spot to insinuate herself. Like she's been building this secret up and all of a sudden reveals it to Steven over a catered dinner and bottle of champagne. Is this a game of yours? 
Is this a, a tactic of some kind you're using on me? I love you, Stephen. Is it for the money? For you? Is that the only important thing in your life? I just said it. I love you. You're my son, and I love my son. I'd cripple his hand and never paint again just to show my son how much I love him. And that's all I've got apart from you. It's not, it's not true. Fallon is his daughter, and she's my sister. Of course. Of course she's your sister. Through me? Let's have some more champagne. We'll talk about this later. There's nothing more angelic than Joan Collins saying, let's just have some more champagne. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wish whenever we would get into arguments, you would just be like, mm, let's just have some champagne. We'll talk about it yeah, later. It's, it's like nothing really matters. It's just, just more champagne. Yeah. The next time that we get into a spat, we need to just have a bucket of ice and a bottle of champagne. On she standby. she does. She does in the kitchen with Mrs. Gunnarsson refer to the kippers as divine. And she says the word divine about three or five times. Uh, you know, again, there's like some weird thing about the angels and the demons and, and the Garden of Eden. All, I don't know. There's something going on there. I don't know. Or maybe she's just talking about Divine, the actress from the John Waters films. I don't know. But all of it's still relevant in some way that I'm still trying to piece together. So, All right. Well, I'm going to go order some china and champagne and flatware because I don't have a phone. <laughs> I was I was thinking we were, we were going to go to the Dynasty Buffet, have some all-you-can-eat Tu Wang Fu or whatever. Well, I have to say there weren't a lot of really strong looks this episode. Were not. I felt like Crystal was kind of doing the same thing that she'd been doing. And Fallon... Well, Crystal, I, you know, we can talk about clothes and angels because Crystal was wearing that, that whole white sweater pantsuit thing. Uh, and then Alexis had the her Grecian draped thing with the angel wings on the shoulder pads. And there was a lot of like white and gold and white, 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 white going on. It was all very... I don't know what this was, but I feel like it was an undeveloped theme that even played out in the costumery. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I think my look of the week is the the last look from Alexis when she's making dinner, or should I say order dinner, for her and Steven. And she's got this white dress on with uh, gold details. The There's like this chain. Well, there's, there's a gold mesh belt. And, you know, it's, it's below the knee length. Uh, it's, but well, it's I really soft, loved the kind of the gold chain necklace. It was really sparkly, and it was um, what do you call that when it's all wrapped up in itself? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you call that. Just sort of like knotted, twisted, something like yeah, that. Yeah, like but a yes. twist, a twisty. Thing. Yeah, it does complement these uh, the drapery of the material. But yeah, it's it's a good look. I I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but it's not like blowing me away. But I don't think. Nothing blew me away yeah. though, and when when she started pouring the champagne in that outfit, and her hair was blown out perfectly once again, I was like, "Okay, this is doing it for me." Did but, you notice like her face has got a little too much of the white powder going on? It's again, it's a part of this angelic theme. I don't know, but like everybody's touched by a freaking angel on on this episode, and she's. Yeah, no, the makeup is a little too light. Uh, there should be some more contouring, I think. 
But yeah, I don't know. I'm not super excited about this look, but I wasn't really into anybody's looks in this episode, TBH. She was wearing some like some fun gaucho pants earlier. Well, what was your look of the week? The best, like for me, the like this is a hot look. Dr. Nicholas Toscani shows up in a DeLorean. Like this is Oh this my is, god, we didn't even talk this about This is car the as costumery. Like this is so unlike any other vehicle. I mean like, you know, yeah, we can stand about back to the future all we want. Whatever. That just that's not even part of it. It's like here's this like freaking dustbuster shaped thing made as stainless steel on wheels great Scott. so opposite of like you know uh the lincoln limo or whatever the hell that everybody else is riding around in and so like yeah I, i'm considering this is the look of the week because like it's costume like this this car is so a, a prop it's so inappropriate yeah i mean that said more about his character than the 15 minutes he went on and on in his suicide monologue you know if they would have just like left it at that him getting out of the delorean it would have been enough pumping claudia's stomach no i love the fact that dr toscani's car is your look of the week that's genius i can't believe i didn't think of it myself but i just hope that he goes uh 88 miles and goes into the future because <laughs> i'm not feeling him right now like far far into the future <laughs> yes please <laughs> Go kiss your mother. <laughs> well, that's another episode of Dynasty as they want to be. <laughs> what? Sorry. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me. I want to thank DJ Jugo for providing our amazing theme song and the artist Lindsay Mound for creating our logo. And I want to thank the listeners. Oh, I did want to give a shout out to one of our fans, Carrington underscore Colby on Instagram. Man, everybody loves this Colby stuff. Carrington underscore Colby is a very prolific dynasty Instagrammer. He, she is always posting great screen caps and video clips and always engages with us and was very sweet this week apologized because sometimes their Instagram does spoil some moments here and there. And so I just try when I go on there, I kind of just hit that heart button and just keep scrolling because I don't want to be spoiled too much. But I love their Instagram account so much, and I appreciate the uh, support. Please, you love to be spoiled. Come on. I love to be spoiled with, like, a case of champagne when I only ordered a bottle. So, yeah, in addition to following us at Nasty Podcast, that's N-A-S-T-Y Podcast, go ahead and follow Carrington underscore Colby. And if you're feeling charitable... Give us a review on uh, iTunes or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you can review podcasts. If you're a fan, let everybody know. And if you're not, get in your fucking DeLorean and drive away. 88 <laughs> miles per hour, baby. Toscani out. <laughs>